As we gather this morning, hear these words of Psalm 95. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. We come into this place um, for one reason, and that is to worship the Lord, our God. And I invite you to just leave your baggage at the door this morning and to let this be a time wholly devoted to the author of all things. I'd invite you to stand and join me in our opening responsive reading. You'll find it printed in your worship folder. It'll also be on the slides this morning. Please stand if you're able. God invites us to wake from our slumbers. There is much to be done to God today. God encourages us to proclaim God's goodness and love. There are so many people who are lost and hurt who need the good news of God. God inspires us to be bold in our proclamations, unafraid and confident. Lord God, be with us as we step boldly out to share your good news. Amen. Now, if you would join me in our community prayer. God of wind and fire, embolden us this day to receive your power. Help us to proclaim the wondrous things that you have done and continue to do in our lives. Give us strength and courage to share the good news of your love and your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started our current teaching series titled Acts to the Ends of the Earth, and I asked you, we truly believe Jesus' words that anything is possible if a person believes. That's where we start. Do we truly believe Anything is possible if we believe. And I asked if we had the kind of faith that embodies Paul's words that say we can do anything or we can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. Do we believe that we can actually do anything through Christ who gives us strength? I invited you on what, seeing what some may call an impossible mission. And it is impossible, as I said, because if God is not in it, we'll never achieve it. Because God has to be in a thing for it to happen, but that that vision, that mission was to grow is to grow this campus to 202 years, and that's what I placed before you last week. Because we're not island dwellers, as as we looked at the story of Moana from Disney Moana, um, we're not inwardly focused. We are people more like the character Moana who are willing to risk everything for the sake of the mission. Today we're going to continue the journey in the New Testament book of Acts, and we're going to examine the foundational text for this series. And it's going to, it's going to lay the foundation for everywhere we're going to go from this point forward. And we're going to look at what Jesus meant when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Hiana is going to lead us in a time of special music, and as she does, I invite you to reflect upon this question. What do you believe possible if God is in it? Ask yourself, what do I believe possible if God is in it? In the Disney movie Moana, Moana grew up on an island where everything was internally focused. Such is life on an island. But she was called to the sea, as we remember from last week. But one night on the island, Moana's grandmother took her to a secret cave to share with her the secret of their ancestors. 
And Moana's instructions were simple. Bang the drum. Let's see what happened. We were explorers. Moana discovers that the reality that she grew up in and lived in her entire life was not who her people were truly meant to be. Now, you'd think that this discovery would lead to Moana and her people reclaiming that passion, reclaiming that vision and that way of life. But no, and instead of being a motivator to Moana's father, um, her new energy and vigor causes more distress than anything else. Uh, for some reason, messing with the status quo upsets the village elders. Surprise, surprise, proving that change is not easy, even if change is reclaiming who Moana's people were meant to be. Moana's people were explorers. Moving from island to island across the sea, they would, they would move to an island, establish a colony, and then send out the next group, the next generation, to expand into the world, passing the mantle on. And to live in that purpose, Moana's people needed to understand their mission and to hold to the vision of expansion. And the problem was is that they had lost their missional vision. They had failed to, to live into that purpose. Their, their internal focus prevented their external growth. Bill Isom has repeatedly written about the basic law of congregational life. And, and this law states that churches grow when they are intentionally reaching out to others. And churches die when, they, when all they do is take care of themselves. And any church consultant will tell you that this, the same thing, this, this exact same thing. The inwardly focused church is a dying church. And it's not that the church doesn't take care of its people. It's, it's that if that is all the church does, then it's on the way to the grave. And this is why one of the reasons why Acts 1.8 is the anchor text for this series. And we're going to look at it again. It says, but you will receive power. Actually, I want you to read this with me. Will you read it with me again this week? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, this single verse tells us that life does not revolve around us, nor our church. Our lives as followers of Jesus Christ center on how we treat the stranger and the people that God brings into our lives. <clears throat> when a church is, concerned, is more concerned about people than it is about preservation, it moves from merely surviving to thriving. We're in the people business. The life relationship Jesus' connection business, connecting people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's our mission as a church. And this text lays a clear foundation for the source of, the, of all authentic power in Christianity. Jesus' last commandment to his disciples were the words about God's power coming to this world in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to define the Holy Spirit for just a moment because a lot of times we have the same words, but we use different definitions for those words. So just so that we're all on the same page, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God, 
in our world, in our world today. It is the experience of God, the experience of God in our daily life that comforts us, that sustains us, that empowers us, that gives us and guides us to the truth of all life. He is the active, working power of God in our world today. We are saved by grace through faith through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, we we understand that. But it's the sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit that we interact with in our daily lives. There's an update for the uh, computer if anybody's interested. The most important part about this verse for me, is that it removes any doubt about the church's role and the expectation of us as those who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus doesn't say, you can be my witnesses. He doesn't say, he didn't say, you can choose to be my witnesses if you really want to or when you feel like it. Jesus gives like a directive. He says, you will, you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem and expanding and ending at the ends of the earth. You see, God has called each of us to be his witnesses in the world in everything that we do. Not just on Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30. Sometimes 10.40, depending on how long I preach. But in everything that we do, we're to witness to God in his kingdom. So I want to break down uh, Jesus' words for just a moment um, so we can get a better handle on what Jesus is saying. Because first, Jesus says we're supposed to be a witness in Jerusalem. So in Jesus' time, Jerusalem was the center of Jewish life. In the time of the early church, it was the center of Jewish life. It was the symbol of the Jewish religion and the faith. Just like our campus to us is often the symbol of our faith. It isn't our faith. It's a symbol of our faith. It's something that points to our faith. The circle that we must witness to first is the local church context, the St. John's campus. That's where we start. And this may sound counterintuitive to the basic law of congregational life that that I shared with you a moment ago, but let me assure you that it's not, and, and I'll explain why. While it's true that a strictly inwardly focused church will decline and die, it is equally true that an unhealthy church that focuses exclusively on outreach will also decline and die. We cannot reach out to the next circle without having a strong foundation to stand on. We must be a healthy and robust community of faith in order to reach out to others. What we have here is what we take outside of these walls into the world. And if we're sick on the inside, we take unhealthy ministry into the world around us. But if we're healthy and we're vital and we're vibrant, we take healthy and active and vibrant ministries into the world, and then we can see the Holy Spirit work to transform the world around us. Witnessing to the ends of the earth Understand, witnessing to the ends of the earth does not negate our responsibility to the body of Christ. It starts in Jerusalem. We are the body of Christ, and we are charged with the task of growing together and reaching the ends of the earth. But it starts here at home, at the St. John's campus. That is our Jerusalem. The next place we go from there is Judea. 
You will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea. And Judea, geographically, um, was the area surrounding Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is the St. John's campus, then our Judea is the geographical area that surrounds us here. And I'm going to call our Judea the St. John's Public School District. Because I think our reach goes beyond the city limits. I think it goes into our entire school district when we talk about our local area. Jesus wept for the city of Jerusalem. Remember that? He wept for the people of Jerusalem. He prayed over the city and for the city. He prayed for its people. And we should be doing the same thing. We should be praying over this city and for its people too. We have an obligation as God's witnesses here in this place to be about the redemptive work of God's kingdom right here in the St. John's community. Our ministry focus must first be right here in the St. John's community. The third step, the third circle in this ever-widening circle is our witness to Samaria, as Jesus says. Now, if you recall the story of the woman at the well, um, Samaritans were known as outcasts in the society, people you don't associate with. And so Jesus is telling the disciples that the church is not the church until it reaches out to the unloved and the unwanted of its day. And I'm not talking about paying for ministries, like simply giving things away as if ministry were a simple transaction between insiders of the church and those who are outside the church. Well, those kind of ministries serve their purpose in certain times in the church, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm speaking about inclusion of the outcasts of our society today. And I'm not asking how friendly are we, because anyone can paint a smile on their face. I'm asking how inclusive are we for the Samaritan of our day. Relational inclusion. How inclusive are we? The fourth step, the fourth ring that we go to is to be a witness to the whole world. And that means that we're called to be involved in world missions, to expand the ends of the earth. Now, being a part of a larger church and a global denomination already connects us with global ministries, but there's always more that we can do. There's always more that we, more that we can do to be in missions around the world, which is why as a church we have more missionaries and more missions outreaches and why a percentage of our annual budget is strictly set aside just for missions. But our witness begins here first. It has to begin at home at the St. John's campus first. And then it expands out each step to the ends of the earth. And we're not the church unless we're reaching beyond our walls and embracing all people. And so Acts 1.8 lays the biblical foundation for the Great Commission. To go into all the worlds and or go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's the funny thing. Here's the catch. Uh, and I love it. You might hate it. It's okay. Uh, at the end of Acts, has anyone read Acts all the way through? At the end of Acts, the disciples didn't do it, their job. They didn't do it. They didn't get to the end of the ends of the earth, did they? They didn't accomplish the mission that Jesus set before them. And so the disciples had to pass, and the apostles had to pass the mantle to the next generation. And the next group of followers took on that mantle, and the next group did as well. The job passed to the next group, and now it passes on to us. 
And this church community has been carrying that mantle for over 150 years. I'm not saying that it hasn't. I'm saying that we need to reclaim the mantle that we already have. The story of Acts continues to be our story here in St. John's. It's not a new story. We've been doing it here for a long time. But it's part of our legacy now too. And we're going to write our piece to the story. So we must prepare. We must prepare um, just as, as the disciples did. And Jesus told them to wait to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they did. And this is how Acts 2 records what happened. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. The story of Pentecost brings to light four points to note before we even approach this ever-widening circle as a body of believers. And the first is that we have to wait for the Holy Spirit. We have to wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the disciples to wait in the upper room until the Advocate came, until the Holy Spirit came Understand, and this is really hard for those of us who are passionate about these things. Understand, Jesus didn't want the disciples to go into the world and start doing ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit. He told them to wait. Don't go out yet until the Holy Spirit comes. Because effective, God-inspired, vital ministry must be empowered by the Holy Spirit or it's not going to be effective. Jesus' instructions were to wait for the Holy Spirit. Hold true, that those instructions hold true for us today. If the Spirit of God is not in the ministry that we're doing, it's never going to work, and we can't pursue it. Like the disciples in the upper room, we have to wait for the Spirit to come first. The second thing is that effective and authentic faith is explosive, it's uncontrollable, and it's spontaneous. I know, now we're getting uncomfortable. Because <laughs> those words are really associated with the church a lot. Every time the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts, everything gets turned upside down. People get mad. I mean, like, I'm going to kill people mad. And nothing makes logical sense. And not everyone likes uncontrollable and spontaneous in the church. Let's just be honest. But that is how the Holy Spirit works. When the Holy Spirit moves, he doesn't work in a fixed paradigm. When the Spirit moves, you get on board and you hold on for dear life and you hope to God you survive it. I ask you, can you handle an explosive, uncontrollable, spontaneous movement of the Holy Spirit in this place? <laughs> I like your honesty. It is scary. 
It is scary. But that's what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit moves. If God is really in a thing. Which leads me to the third to my the third point, and that is faith has little to do with the rational and the predictable. We often associate rational and predictable with faith, as though having all of the answers and knowing the steps would make us appear to have a deep faith. But it's easy to say you have great faith when everything stays the same. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. You see, faith has everything to do with not knowing what will happen and trusting that God will see you through. That's what real faith is about. Fourth, when the Spirit moves, it draws attention. When the Spirit moves, it draws attention. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples at Pentecost, it caught the attention of the people in the streets, and some were astonished. We're like, wow, look at all these amazing things. Um, others weren't. They mocked the disciples. God is going to do the same thing here. As the Holy Spirit empowers and moves in this place in a big way, it's going to catch the attention of other people, not only in the community, but in, in our in our faith community as well. People, some people will be astonished by what they see, and others will mock us. But we can't let their response to losing control distract us from our fierce focus on what Jesus is calling to be and do in this church and in this community with the marginalized and with the world. We must not give in to that fear, and we won't. We won't, because we're not those people. And it's going to take all of us, myself included, moving out of our comfort zones. It's going to require great leaps of faith, trusting in God's provision and in God's providence. A faith that will move mountains. A faith that is that believes that anything is possible if God is in it. Recognize, though, all that we have done so far. Look at all that God has already accomplished bringing us to this point in 10 months. We've come a long way. And we're going to stay the course. We're going to trust in God to lead us, having faith in the impossible. Because if we could do it on our own, it wouldn't be what God would want us to do. We have to do something big enough that will only be successful if God steps in. That's how we know it's a God-sized vision because through Christ, all things are possible. Through Christ, all things are possible. And it's not our responsibility to convince anyone of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's not our job to do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same spirit that we open ourselves up to. Our responsibility is to receive the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to be his witnesses and make his presence known to the world around us, starting here at the St. John's campus, and then in the St. John's public school system, and then to the Samaritans in our community, the outcasts in our society, and then to the ends of the earth, to be his witnesses. And I ask you today, are you ready to receive the Holy Spirit? And are you prepared for whatever that gift might bring? Let's pray.
Holy God, you're holy. We ask that you're, you would send your Holy Spirit upon us on our hearts today. Set our hearts ablaze with your holy fire to see this world come to know you through your, through your Son, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, and the Savior to our world. Fill this church campus with your Holy Spirit and may it be a healthy and vital center for your witness to this community. And for all who we will witness to in your name, Lord, we lift them up to you. God, we raise this city to you. Use us as you will. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.